Okay, we are now recording. Our speaker, Michelle, will share her own recovery journey with us now, and then she will have some comments on step seven. She may be referring to our book, Are Eating Disorders Anonymous? If so, she'll provide page references as indicated. There will be time for questions and member sharing after Michelle finishes. Some members find the book is much easier to follow with using a paper version of the book. So if you only have the book on an electronic device, you may prefer to just listen. Take it away, Michelle. But first, unmute. No, you're still muted. Oh, there you go. You mean follow the actual instructions. I kept hitting the little microphone icon rather than the big old blue sign. Now, this is a good metaphor for my life, right? <laughs> I've got the big blue flashing sign saying unmute, and I'm hitting that icon picture, right? Um, so thank you. Thank you for asking me to share. Um, and, um, you know, as luck would have it, I was waiting for a sponsee to call and she was delayed and I had my, my book in the car and um, at work and I was reading through step seven. I was like, oh, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so um, I did it. But uh, yeah. OK, so let me first start with my story. Um, I grew up. I'm from New Orleans. I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, and, and as an only child and in a family that it was very challenging um, for me. And um, I I had some of my own issues for sure, um, but I was very afraid of um, of one of my parents, and so I discovered the trick of, and I remember like maybe being five or six years old, um, asking the parent for a snack. And then um, rather than eating it, hiding it. And so I would uh, accumulate these stores. And the whole point was so that when I really wanted it, I didn't have to face the fear and ask. Um, and, and I'm not sure how this made sense in my little brain, but I remember when I really kind of broke through the denial of having an eating disorder, I remembered that like from a long, long time ago. Um, and so I, something was off, you know, I think that's the general rule with me. Something was off. I'm, I've always been kind of a weird little kid. I grew up in a strange family or a difficult family or one that I found difficult. And I have to qualify like that because I had a friend of mine in high school with um, wh whose mother was a, an unmedicated schizophrenic, which is not, everybody has their own issues. Um, but like my friend grew up with a different sense of reality. Like she grew up with some perspective. She grew up thinking, oh, my mom's sick. She really needs to get help. Why isn't mom getting help? and dealing, working that stuff out on her own. Whereas I grew up thinking it was all about me. So I internalized all this stuff. And that came out in various ways. Um, 
over the course of my life. And, um, and so in New Orleans, and one of my parents was a drinker. So in New Orleans, it was really easy for me to drink. And I'm old, I'm 51. So, I mean, it wasn't like there was a big crackdown on getting your license or whatever. You know, New Orleans is a very lax place. It was then. And, um, and so long story short, it became really easy for me to drink my parents' alcohol. Um, and so that kind of like took off because of the access. Um, I was able, if I, you know, maybe if I lived in a larger home where there was more in the pantry, the food stuff would have taken off. That being said, one of the reasons why I originally took a drink was because I had read or heard somewhere that it slowed down the, how it made you absorb calories less quickly. So I figured as somebody who was a binge purger and starver and whatever, that that would be a way that my body wouldn't absorb calories. Um, and so uh, as crazy as it sounds, Basically, that was like my motiv my motivating force, the motivation for me starting on this path. And, you know, it's weird because I remember I met my best friend our first day in high school. And, um, and she had a curiosity about life and a curiosity about being a teenager. And I want to have this high school experience. And she was curious and she was and I was exactly the opposite. I was just petrified of everything. And I soon found rituals and substances that would help me cope with life. So I really identified in the book where it talked about, you know, for me, in my mind, this what my eating disorder was a solution. Um, I didn't have to worry about alcohol being accessible. I could always act out in some way, whether it was some kind of not eating or eating or whatever it was, I was able to always kind of make it work out. And it gave me this incredible sense of control and manageability and a very scary, what felt to me like a very scary home. And, you know, in a blink of an eye, years went past, right? And I love the part in our literature where it talks about, um, you know, by the time we, we, we realized I had, by the time I realized I had an eating disorder, it's like, I couldn't even put my finger on what, what the original problem was. Like I could not put my finger on what started me down this path. I was just left with untangling this big old ball of, of goo, right. And trying to figure this stuff out. So I was lucky. I was lucky on a lot of fronts. I was lucky because, um, uh, I had friends in New Orleans who were young who found the halls of AA um, and and that it was just the right time. And so I, I got sober in AA when I was very young. Um, and I, to me, in my mind, like that was it. Like that was the real solution. Like that was I, I didn't have an eating disorder. This was just a substitute and blah, blah, blah. And but I was I was never honest with any of my friends about it. I had had an experience when I. Um, told my parents when I was young and I'm watching the time um, I told my parents when I was young and I was told I was a liar and my mom didn't talk to me for four or five weeks and it was just this big old drama so I had this real issue with telling people and so as close as that friend to, fell fell to my friends in early AA recovery 
I was still really reticent. And I had just like gotten up to the, and one of my friends, a couple of my friends even shared their recovery. And I still couldn't come up with, with saying something. And one of these girls would say, it was relieved when I got sober. And I was like, that's the way it's going to be for me. That's the way it's going to be for me. And I just thought, no problem. And, um, and it problem, problem. Um, it didn't take me long. And, uh, until I got back into, into, into behaviors. And I remember at the time, um, somebody telling me something about being horrified that her roommate had kept a secret and it was a hard secret for him to carry. Um, and she was horrified. He was so dishonest with her and blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, I am never telling anyone anything. And, um, and then there was a girl who went to a meeting from OA who was bulimic like I had been and she shared and they, she basically got thrown out of AA. It was horrible. So it's like all the messages that my brain picked up, right? Now let's think in my mind that there may have been a thousand people in front of me giving me affirming messages to come clean, that I was loved no matter what, right? But all I could hone in on was the pieces that kind of affirmed the negative theory I had about myself and the world, world I lived in. And so I kind of plotted along and I worked on my recovery, but I was never really honest with it. Um, there's one of the doctors talks about truth and trust. And, um, and I did a lot, a, a lot of work in, in a lot of service and things got a little bit better, but like still weren't quite right. And, um, so my life radically changed because of the 12 step process. And I really believed in a 12 step process. I think what happened for me was that toward the end of my eating disorder, my time with tolerating my eating disorder, for whatever reason, it got to a point where I could no longer tolerate it. And it wasn't the, the, the behaviors weren't as bad as they had been in their worst. There are still behaviors. Um, and I developed a, a, a bunch of other issues. I've been anorexic. I, I mean, it's just, it's just like crazy. It's like every part of the spectrum I'm there. And, um, and for whatever reason, it's like I got to a point, I heard a speaker once share, there's a line below which we cannot go. For some people, it's death, right? So my line, for whatever reason, was this day. And I didn't care, but everybody was going to know. And, um, and so I came clean, I came clean to my husband. And at first the solution in my mind was OA, right? Um, my, my sponsor in AA goes to OA and I, it did not work for me. Um, I had a lot of trouble because of my anorexia and because of the orthorexia that I had developed. Um, and so the whole idea of restriction and not having the abstinence program was not a good fit for me. I could see it work for other people, but it was not a good fit for me. And then I tried another food-related program that was a little light, light on the abstinence base, but it was still. And look, I, by this time, my husband was upset. I was honest with him about what was going on. So I was honest with him about behaviors. And he was not, he was not a happy camper. He was really afraid um, and so I'm like looking online and stuff and, um, and, uh, and so I'm seeing EDA and I'm thinking, this is really new agey. There's no way I'm not doing this, whatever the whole health mono. I was like, Nope, not going to work for me. So I tried a few other things and, um, and I got desperate 
And basically, I was I fell in love with a food related 12 step program, the one that was kind of light on the abstinence thing. And um, and basically, I was told that I couldn't belong. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so basically, so I am actually in recovery, a vegetarian. So I couldn't belong to this other organization because I was a vegetarian. And for me, everybody has their own thing. It's part of my nutrition. It's part of my life, whatever. So for me, like that was really a big deal. So literally EDA for me was the last stop. This was it. This was it. This is the last possible thing for me to try. I feel like I literally tried everything. And because of my experience in a 12 step program, I had faith. And I knew for one thing that what was so important for me was identification, that I needed fellowship and I needed identification. I found us. My first sponsor was in Greece. Um, and she and I were emailing. And this was back when it wasn't the worksheets, but the workbook. And, um, and I did that. And, um, and for a little while, like I got through there and then it was hard with the time difference and she was a professor. So I got on the waiting list and then I got a sponsor from the waiting list. And then she took me through most of the four step and she had something go on. So I found another sponsor from a phone meeting and, um, and then that worked for a little while. And I guess I at some point had gotten on the, the waiting list. And when the big book came out, um, I just had this email from this woman one day who was like, I'm ready to work with you here's what you need to do. And it was from the first homework of the big book and being kind of a recovery nerd. I was like, let's go. And it just worked out. And, um, but I wanted to kind of backtrack. I was blessed to have a face-to-face -face meeting near where I lived. And so I was able to kind of just throw myself into EDA and I, I never even realized what I was going to find at all. I had no idea that this was an accessible program. I really did. I mean, I'm touchy feely. I, I like to say I'm not touchy feely, but I'm touchy feely. But like, like literally I couldn't believe that something like this could work. Um, and I had to work for it. I had to work on it. And um, the way I kind of think of it um, is, you know, I have a well-worn path. Like right now I have a faucet in my house that's leaked forever. Not like, you know, I'm damaging the water supply, but occasionally a couple drops come out. And so in my backyard, like what you see is this hole, right? Where the water is continually gone. And that's kind of like the way I think of like, that's my habits. That's what I was used to doing. And it's like, suddenly it's like, I decided that I was not going to, I didn't want to go forward in my eating disorder, that the behaviors were, were intolerable, which isn't to mean I was able to stop immediately. Um, but basically I was forced with sending that water a different route, you know, and it was like, it's like being in a forest and suddenly having to hack a whole new path through, but that's the lie of my eating disorder. The truth is, is that other people have been, been walking this path, right? And I had a sponsor walk me through the process. I've had four sponsors walk me through various legs of the process. And all of them have contributed immensely to my life. Um, and, I, you know, so let me, let me share a little bit. Basically, my husband and I left everything when we were in Massachusetts to come down here and take care of my dad, who is doing okay, but, but kind of not okay. And um, we basically relocated and started a new life down here. And, um, and it was really an adjustment. And, um, you know, again, like the one thing that's been 
that's been steady for me has been um, my recovery and um, the and recovery not just like to say it's mine but recovery with others right so I, I really see it as kind of like we're part of a community and I think I love I've never been on a zoom like I can see your face so this is like my new favorite thing um, so it's really awesome and and I just want to touch about upon one thing so I kind of like talk about little challenges I talked about the challenge when I was growing up I, I don't know whether it's karma or my higher power sense of humor. I don't know what it is, but like there's just been weird shit that's happened to me. Pardon my French. And like, so I had this one girl and this is going to lead somewhere. So just bear with me. I had one girl in grammar school who was shunned, right? Like all the girls were mean to her. Everybody hated her. I played with her cause I liked her. And so we played. So apparently one day she got a letter from one of her classmates basically saying that she was horrible. And so one of the teachers did a, a handwriting analysis, whatever, and said I was the one who wrote the letter, right? Well, I didn't write the letter. Like, I was like the only person who was this girl's friend, but I got blamed for it. And there was a whole fallout from that. That set in motion a lot of stuff. Um, and then there was stuff that happened in my home life too, where I was being accused of doing stuff I didn't do. And then there was like hell to pay and I was never believed and I was dismissed and all this stuff. And so, um, it's all will make sense in just a minute. And so, um, you know, I, I did want to, I did want to say one other thing about like, um, one of the blessings that I feel like I've gained, um, is that I was taught in my first 12 step program that I needed to let myself be a guest in someone else's house. So when I went to EDA, I took a step back. I was willing to admit what I didn't know because the program, this EDA was vastly different from the step one that I was taught. Um, and I had to learn what EDA was. Like I had to make myself an, an expert in my eating disorder. I couldn't just rely on my knowledge from another program. Um, and that, that I think has been a really big strength. I needed to, to not think that I knew everything. I needed to let go and let myself be a beginner and let myself learn and grow in this program. And I still let myself learn and grow. And you could see that by my first comment about looking at step seven and being like, I don't even know, man. Um, but that, that having been said, let me just kind of move over in here. Um, so where I am, I need to take my glasses off to see because of my old eyes. Um, I am on the top of page 173. So if you have your book, take a look at the top of 173, please. And to me, this is the crux of step seven. We can no more will ourselves to be free of self-centeredness or of the vulnerability to pain and misery that it causes than we can will ourselves to be free of our eating disorders. Once we can honestly admit that we cannot fix our fundamental issues by focusing on ourselves, we are ready to work step seven. And for me, step seven really means, and that humility I've always been taught was 
seeing the truth about myself, good and bad. And the nuance of this step for me in my life is that I had to let go of all the things that I thought that I needed to be okay. I had to be willing to start at ground zero. In step seven, I'm not just giving my character defects. I'm not just, I'm giving everything. And I'm willing to say, I don't know any of this. And I'm willing just to kind of like go through and work the rest of the steps and see how it all goes and play, play it by ear. Um, and I identify with some of the striving they talk about, um, certainly with humility and coming in, for, in terms of humiliation, that's for sure. Um, I'm just kind of paging through when I start speaking about an area, I will go back to the page number. I'm on page 174, kind of the middle of the first full paragraph. Um, the paragraph begins with in recovery and kind of in the middle of that starting, so long as we believed self-serving goals and ideals to be worthwhile, we remain lost in the misery of our eating disorders, easily victimized and prone to resentment, frustration, and fear. We fled from ideas and activities that might have developed our character and, able, and enabled us to be more resilient. We could not form the critical relationships of trust and reliance that are necessary for recovery. We were unable to say, sustain anything like reasonable perspective regarding ourselves or the events in our lives. That sums everything up for me right there. Um, I mean, that's it. It's one of those things where I've read in the book and all of a sudden I get chills because that's exactly my story right there. Um, and uh, I'm trying to get to the other parts. So when I was reading this earlier this week, um, what I do identify with is um, on the bottom of page 174 about we think our problem was that we did not fully appreciate that all the accolades and rewards in this world would be empty and pointless without being linked to something more important and more durable than we are a higher purpose, a higher power of our understanding. Um, so, so basically, like I said, step seven for me is about being, being willing to let go of everything I think I need to be or everything that the world needs to be in order for me to be okay. Um, and that's kind of, I'm gonna kind of finish this a little bit. Um, it reaffirms on page 176, um, we don't need to fix ourselves. It doesn't work anyway. Apart from a few minutes each day spent on step 10, we don't waste time dwelling on issues that result from our self-centeredness unless we are focused on how we can use them to good purpose. And that's a little what I was talking about. It's like if I just work the rest of the steps, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to be a human being. I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. I'm going to be non-thinking. I'm going to be a great human being. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a variety of what I am. But through my daily inventory, um, I can kind of get my bearings a little bit and get some perspective and also realize where, you know, maybe I need to have a follow-up conversation with somebody if I said something that might have hurt their feelings or whatever. And the best part about our steps is the whole resolution thing, which is just so inspired. 
Um, so step seven for me really goes along with the other steps. It's like I can let go of this stuff if I'm relying on something, if I'm using my inventory. Um, there was a while ago this whole thing about there's an app for that. Well, to me, it's like there's a step for that. You know, I can let go of everything and let the other steps kind of carry my feet as I kind of walk through this journey of life. Um, and at the bottom of page 176, my apologies. Um, so our sponsors step in to help us identify character building activities that open us up to new experiences. I like was so blind to this, right? So it's kind of like when I'm being so used to being negative, it's like I couldn't see positive. And so I couldn't take something that was like a, de a, a defect. And I like to call it character components. I don't like the words defect or, or assets anymore, like aspects of character, I think. Um, but so it was like challenging. It was like, well, I don't know. And things, one of the other things I really love in our book is about, um, you know, we take small risks to build trust, right, with ourselves and others. And so I didn't need to start big. I could start with something that was kind of in the, the now column, like, this is something I could actually try. Let me try with somebody who's a safe person. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to go try on the person who hates me. I can go try on the person who loves me first and see how it feels and get comfortable and get grounded in, my, in myself with this and get used to it. Um, and so uh, what I really identified with in the, in the back where, you know, it's the instructions part, you know, my sponsor, one of, the, one of my big issues was I made my list of character defects. Then I made kind of like she helped me flip the defects into assets, right? So that her point was that, um, you know, of my own power, some of my instincts were a little amok and they came out as defects, but it, with a different direction and not focusing on self, they, the, en the same energy could actually be a character asset. Um, like my stubbornness could be persistence. Um, she had different things like that. It was kind of fun seeing all the ways that she came up to spin these things that were character defects in assets. But, um, but so, uh, replacing, so the key for me was, and all right, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Bottom of 176. Last sentence on the bottom, and it's going to carry over to 177. We find we can leverage the pain of our defects to good purpose replacing old patterns of thought and behavior with meaningful action. If there was anything more meaningful to me right there, that is it, right? And that's the great thing about recovery and working the steps. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to kind of like hack through that forest, that dense forest. But then like I started to get some momentum with some of this stuff. And then it, it started to get kind of fun, like how I could be creative with some of this stuff. And that's really been a miracle. And I'll share some of my experiences from this week. And that's part of what's going to go back to what I experienced as a kid. Um, and so it, it, on the bottom of 177, it affirms. And for, yeah. Three minutes. Oh, thank you. At the bottom of page 177, it affirms about selfishness starts to diminish. You know, when I look to what I can add to the world around me, my selfishness that diminishes um and then there's the step seven prayer so i want to talk about a couple things i want to talk about first of all um with my three minutes um 
I did not have a voice. And, um, and learning how to speak up was really important. And I remember early in recovery realizing that I had to have my voice and I needed to use my voice and it wasn't going to be perfect. And I remember telling my husband, we need to be able to talk about this stuff or I'm not going to recover. You know, and that was like one of the first honest things that to me was like a real big step in me, me, me using my voice. And that's one of the things I see as part of my step seven. Another thing I see as part of my step seven is recent. This this past week, we had something go on in the house and I'm I like to be very accommodating. And that's referred to in here where. I can be like really accommodating because I want to seem generous and worth it. I, I like to be generous, but I never think about, am I willing and am I available? I'm just like, sure, let's do it. And then I'm resentful. And then somebody's confused. They're not doing anything wrong. It's just all of a sudden I'm mad and they're confused. So it's not respectful to either one of us. Right. And here I'm thinking I'm being the big person by not saying no or by taking something on. And I actually communicated with somebody. That was a big part of, of doing something different part of my step seven was being able to say this isn't going to work can we do something else and it was me speaking up in a very kind way concise and she understood where i was coming from and it was no problem where my mind first went how can she ask me this blah 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 i'm offering to you know do how can she blah you know and and i needed to take a step back and gain perspective she didn't ask me to do anything that was in the, the realm of the mind that I had made of it. Um, and it was just, it worked out really well. And that kind of thing helps me build trust with myself and others. And the last thing I wanted to say is I had a 45 minute meeting with um, HR <laughs> when I got back from vacation. This person who I trusted at my work was not trustworthy. I should not have trusted her, but I decided to anyway. And there was fairy tales made up of things I had said, things that I had said out of context. I stayed an hour later at work that day and I left. And when I left, I was gone. I did not have to be in that meeting anymore to be able to where in the past, it's like anything that remotely, I hate the word trigger, but brought up the memories of the stuff that happened to me when I was little would send me for a tailspin. And that's not my life today. I was able to go away with friends and have a great weekend and come back to work and be kind to people, not have to feel like, oh, they think blah, blah, blah. And to me, that's a huge miracle of my recovery. And I'm really, really grateful. And um, I think that's it for my time. Right? <laughs>